What a great day today is. It's, you know, it, by the way, we're going to be in the book of Romans today, Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep it. So, guide us today, Father, in your word and um, teach us, encourage us, remind us who we are. And um, thank you for the freedom you've purchased in Christ's name. Amen. 247 years ago tomorrow, 56 men signed a document known as the Declaration of Independence. Knowing my sermon today was going to be on biblical freedom, and I read the Declaration of Independence again. It's been, to read the whole thing, it's been years. I couldn't tell you the last time I did it. Um, and it was um, very enlightening. But what I want to read to you now is the second paragraph, the famous one we all know a certain quote out of there. But let me read it to you to, to kind of use this to introduce the topic from Romans 6. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whatever, whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So this was a history-changing document. And reading it again, I was amazed at the power of this that we've lived under for 247 years. Though is history-changing and unbelievable, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This was implemented actually quite imperfectly, and it took time. Of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 25 were slaveholders. So your mind goes to what were they thinking about all men are created equal and endowed with unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It took approximately 90 years for the slaves to realize this independence, these unalienable rights. It took another 100 years for society to start actually allowing them to live a life of pursuit of happiness through the civil rights movement. And some would argue there's still work to be done, and I would agree. So why do I bring this up? Well, first of all, though imperfectly implemented, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that came 13 years later um, are amazing documents that we've had the pleasure of living under. And no matter how imperfectly implemented, they are um, incredibly profound. And we should be very grateful we've been able to live in a country that holds to these principles and pray to God that those principles are still maintained. 
But I want to bridge to biblical freedom now and use some of the things we just talked about from the Declaration of Independence and how it was imperfectly implemented to what the scripture says about our freedom and possibly how imperfectly it has been implemented. We will see in this message that our freedom has been purchased and endowed to us by Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. We too struggle with implementing our freedom into our daily lives, primarily by believing lies. So why, why was the Declaration of Independence slow to be implemented into the, everyone in America? Because there was lies believed about the nature of the slaves. And those had to be changed in everybody's thinking. Do you know who you are in Christ? What lies do you believe that don't allow you to implement the freedom Christ has given you? Some of us are not even aware that we are free. We know we're forgiven. We know we're forgiven. But do we know that you, do you know that you've been delivered from the power and penalty of sin? It is not your master. It's a battle every day. But I want to show you from Romans 6 the power of this freedom we've been given. And we look at the world that's in turmoil. It's in utter turmoil today. It probably always has been, but maybe in different pockets and things. But we now it's come to our front door. And the turmoil of violence, um, looting that is left unchecked, um, murders are up incredibly, violent crime. Every, every day it seems I see a headline of police officers being killed. It seems every day we see that, if not every other day. Sexual immorality is rampant in the country and in the church. Did you know that? Among the leaders of the church, pastors, headlines are all the time about a pastor that got caught. Not just in adultery, but in pedophilia. It's really unbelievable the slavery we have to sin as a society and as individuals. So let's look, now that I've thoroughly depressed you, that's my problem. I can't, I can't help but be a smart aleck. Let's look at the first point. Christ has purchased our freedom from slavery to sin. I want to read to you John, John chapter 8 and Revelation chapter 1. Just to set the principle, then we'll jump into Romans 6. So go ahead and stay in Romans 6 if you've opened your Bibles. But listen to John chapter 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you know the truth, and the truth will set you And the truth will set you Thank you. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, which is really short-sighted. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Amazing how short-sighted we can be. How is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Listen to Revelation 1, 4 through 6. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who, let's look at this, this is amazing. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So stop there for a moment. He loves you, that's first. Because he loves you, he frees you from your sins. If we, if we look at all the theology of who, who we were in our sins and, and how we're described as rebels, as enemies of God, that's how, that's how we're described in our sin. It is at that state that God loved us as rebels, as enemies, disobedient children. In that state, he loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And not just that, but look at verse 6. And made us, king, made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Not only has he freed you from his sins, he's changed your identity. You're no longer the rebel. You're no longer in darkness. You're no longer a child of Satan. Whatever words we want to use there. You're a son of the living God. You're a daughter of the living God. You are a kingdom and priest to our God. That's the foundation. Now let's look at our Declaration of Independence. We just read our country's Declaration of Independence. Let's look at ours from Romans chapter 6. First, we're going to see that death has set us free. Romans 6, 5 through 10. Let me open my Bible. I'm not ready. Romans 6, 5 through 10. We'll start there. And there's so much in here, I can only highlight a few things to remind us of who we are. In, in Romans 6, 1 through 4, talk about the fact that you were united with Christ in his death. When Jesus died, you died. When Jesus was buried, you were buried. When Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. And thus your new identity in forgiveness and freedom. But we're going to stop and start in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. You have to believe this isn't just a metaphor. This isn't just a cute saying. You died with Jesus Christ. The scripture is clear in this. When, you were, when he was crucified to that cross, in some very real yet mystical way, you were crucified too. He's your substitute, but you united with him. You died on the cross when Jesus died. And so the person who dies on the cross is freed from sin. That this is a reality for us. And I know I can see in some of your eyes you're going... I don't believe it because I know how much sin controls my life today. And you're telling me I'm free from it. That's not my experience. Let's keep reading through the scriptures to see if we can change our practice in light of the reality that we died to sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe also we will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will no longer die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So those are the two things from this passage. The one who has died has been freed from sin. And the one who has died has been freed from sin lives for God. Before we couldn't. 
We couldn't do it because we were enslaved to sin. Now we get to wake up every day as those alive from the dead whose sin is no longer our master, but Jesus Christ is, and we can say, God, I'm here to serve you today because you've changed me and you've empowered me to live the life of your son, Christ-likeness. So in light of that, I want us to look at 11 to 14, and I want us to proclaim our independence. Each of us declare our independence. I want to read the passage to you, and then I have written out my declaration of independence. I've taken these words and reworded them to make them personal to me. And I'll read those in a moment to you, and I hope you make them personal to you. So if you see people leaving, it's not because they don't like me. That may be true. They're actually going down to the veterans' luncheon to start setting up for that this afternoon. So I thank them for that. I was teasing them that they're sure they'll stay to listen to the worship, but as soon as I start preaching, they walk out. Um, now they feel bad, I hope. They're not even listening. So, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So look at that again. Read that. Read that with me out loud, please. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those of you in the room raised on King James, it would reckon yourself dead to sin. It's one of those translations we don't use anymore, but I love that word reckon. Reckon yourself to sin. It's a, it's a place where I say, I declare this. I'm declaring my independence from sin. It's a reality that's been given to me, but until I grasp it and live in it and stand on it, I'll be a slave to sin. So, Paul goes on, verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let, let, let me give you a quick background here. Scripture tells us that something in my heart, something in my soul, my spirit, whatever you want to call it, that part of me that's not physical, that's not this body, but it's genuinely me, is born again. I've been made alive. My heart has been changed. That's the new covenant promise. But that real me still lives in a body that has fallen and will decay and die someday. Then Christ will come and raise that body and make it brand new, just like my heart and my soul he has made brand new. Does that make sense? So, so we now have been born again, made alive, freed from sin, but we still live in a body that likes to enjoy sin. Any amens to that? A couple honest people in the room. I mean, there are certain aspects to some sins that I thoroughly enjoy until I've completed the act. And then what happens? God reminds me who I am and says, son, what are you doing? I delivered you from that. And I've used this before, and you're tired of hearing it, but the biblical imagery, there's two of them. A pig goes back to the trough, and a dog returns to its vomit. Why do we do that? What lie are we believing that we don't believe we're free, and we have to go back to that from which we were freed, in part because it's fun for a very short time. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its lusts. See, the word reign is to be king over us. And what do you do to a king? You obey it. 
Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Just so you know, I did a whole sermon on this, this couple sermons on this chapter a year and a half ago. We did the book of Romans. You can go back and find those on the website. But seven times in Romans 6, you're told you're not a slave to sin anymore. You're free. You don't have to obey. Seven times. And repetition should be driven into our hearts. Do you believe this? To most of you in the room that's been part of the, the teaching here since I've been here, you've heard this before. But have we imperfectly implemented it to where some days, great victory over sin. Other days, less so, and other days, miserable failure. So we've imperfectly implemented it, much like the principles of life, liberty, and happiness for all men have been imperfectly implemented in our culture. Some of you, though, maybe don't even realize you've been free from sin. We've put so much glorious teaching, so much teaching is glorious that you are forgiven, and the penalty of sin has been taken away from you. Is that a glorious truth? It's an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth when you think about it, that as far as God's concerned, you are washed clean. But there's more. You've been delivered from the penalty of sin, but also from the power. And sometimes Christians don't even know it. And if you don't know you've been freed from slavery to sin, how do you live? Like a slave. Last year, there's a new federal holiday called Juneteenth. And unfortunately, it's actually been a holiday in Texas for a long time, but it became a federal holiday last year. And unfortunately, um, in the political atmosphere of today, it became politicized, which is very sad, because the truth of it is amazing, both from our history as a, a United States of America and the principle of what I'm talking about today. But let me tell you what it's about. On January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation where he freed all slaves in those states that seceded from the Union. He freed them all. But it didn't, didn't take implement because if, you, if you're a state that seceded from the Union, you're not going to obey the president. He's not my president anymore. That's why we're at war. Nonetheless, he declared them free. 18, six, April of 1865, Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant in Appomattox, Appomattox Virginia. But slavery remained unabated in Texas. It kept going on. Whether ignorance of the slave owners or re rebellion of the slave owners, the slaves themselves did not know they were free. Did not know it. Sl trading in slavery was still happening, selling and buying slaves. They were still considered property. So they were freed as far as the United States government was concerned but how they live because they were told a lie. You're not free. I own you. And when you believe you're owned by somebody else that reigns over you, you obey that king. On June 19th, 19, 1865, 
Two months after Lee surrendered, the Federal Army arrived in Galveston, Texas. General Gordon Granger stood on Texas soil and read General Order Number 3. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation of emancipation from the executive of the United States, the president, all slaves are free. So that is a new holiday. And let's remember it for our own country's sake, but let's also remember it for the fact that you have been set free from sin. And Satan's going to lie to you. He's going to come along and speak in your ear and say, hey, you know, you've given to this thing so many times. Why not just do it again? You love it anyways. Oh, you can just ask forgiveness later. Boy, how many times have we done that? And then the pig returns to the mud, the dog to the vomit, and we sit there in disgust and guilt, say, what am I doing? Why do I go back to this time and time again? It's not my master. Just like these emancipated slaves, life was very hard for them in the years following. And for those of us who have learned the principle of freedom from slavery to sin, it's not simple to live that way. There, for me, I was 20 years old when I became a Christian. There was 20 years of habits deeply ingrained in me, belief systems deeply ingrained in my mind that drove my habits. That's why Paul tells us to renew our minds. So today I encourage you, if, if you know you're free, but you've implemented it poorly, renew your mind every day with these principles. I want to read to you my declaration in a moment. If today you're saying, I didn't know this, well, the battle begins today. Rather, the victory begins today. You've been in the battle the whole time. So listen to my personal declaration of independence. I've taken verses 11 to 14 and made them personal to me. I declare myself to be dead to sin and alive to God because of what Christ has done for me. I will not let sin reign in my mortal body to make me obey its dishonoring passions like greed, lust, anger, and selfishness. Today, I will stop presenting this body to these sinful actions, thus making my body an instrument of unrighteousness. But rather, I determine to present my entire self to God as a person who has been raised from death to life. And I specifically choose to present my body to God to be used by him as an instrument of righteousness. By the way, that Greek word that translated instrument can be translated weapon. That God, you are a weapon in God's hand if you understand these principles and you implement them. I am committing to do this, verse 14, and I am able to do this because sin is no longer my master due to God's uber-abundant grace. always wanted to use that word, uber. <laughs> that he has lavished upon me through my union with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I want to read it to you again. It's a rewording of Romans 11, excuse me, 6, 11 to 14. But I want you to ask yourself, can this be your declaration of independence today from the poorly implemented truth of freedom or maybe the newly discovered truth that you are free? Verse 11, 
I declare myself to be dead to sin and alive to God because of what Christ has done for me. I will not let sin reign in my mortal body to make me obey its dishonoring passions like greed, lust, anger, and selfishness. Today, I will stop presenting this body to these sinful actions, thus making my body an instrument of unrighteousness, but rather I determine to present my entire self to God as a person who has been raised from death to life, and I specifically choose to present my body to God to be used by him as an instrument, as a weapon of righteousness. Do you understand your purpose? Whatever you're doing today, whether you are a student, whether you're in college, a high school student in college, whether you are a young professional or, or working at a garage, whatever you're doing, whether you are at the end of your career, you're retired, you today are an instrument in God's hands for righteousness. It is your purpose. It's not a side hobby. It's not something you, you choose to, to engage in once in a while. It is the core of who you are. And if we go to Romans, Ephesians 6 to see, to see the passage, Ephesians 6, 10, I'm getting my thoughts here, through about 21 or 2 is the, help me out here, is spiritual warfare, the armor of God. Thank you, Ken. Just shut off. The armor of God. Three times it says, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. We're in a battle. And the first thing we got to do is stand firm. Who am I? And what is my relationship to sin? And what is my relationship to the Savior? Sin is not my master anymore. Why am I still playing around with it? Jesus Christ is my master. And I'm an instrument in his hands. Or I can make myself ineffective and go back to the trough and feed with the pigs. I'm going to read the rest of the passage. It repeats a lot we've talked about. If you want to hear more detailed, go back to my sermons from Romans 6 about a year and a half ago. I titled this, Choose Whom You Will Serve Today. Choose Whom You Will Serve. Do you remember at the end of um, the book of um, Joshua? After Joshua's done with his work, Israel is getting soft. They're getting, they're getting half-hearted, backsliding. And Joshua says this. Today, choose whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. So that's what Romans 6 is doing for us today, asking us who will we choose to serve. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's the gospel. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. When I taught this the first time, we, we played a little clip from Bob Dylan's, you got to serve somebody. You old people, remember that? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. YouTube took it off because that little clip violated copyright laws. So I'm not playing it today. I'm quoting it to you. They can't take it off. But he hit the nail on the head. You're serving somebody. 
It's your choice. Choose today. I'll serve the Lord, righteousness, or I'll serve the devil, sin. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, or the, or the word holiness there. So I want, you, I want you to go back to the beginning of that verse, if you would, please, Lee. Very important here. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Every time we present ourselves to sin, that creates a momentum down that road, which is then easier next time to do it and easier the next time. So, so we all know the issue of addiction, do we not? That whether it is to, to, to alcohol, to, to smoke at a joint, whatever it is that all of a sudden we now become addicted to those things, we become more and more. Pornography, this is a proven fact. We, we get addicted by looking at the pornography, and it's amazing the road you can go down of perversion that will shock even you. When we go down that road of lawlessness, it simply widens the path to more lawlessness and makes it easy for us. But look at the next line. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, leading to holiness. So as we present ourselves to God, alive from the dead, God, I'm an instrument in your hand. I'm done playing with that smoking that dope or drinking that alcohol to, to the point of drunkenness. I don't want to misstate um, having a beer or something. But, but to the point where drunkenness, um, getting stoned, going on to the next drug, the next drug, pornography, anger. We can go in all the, all the different sins. Instead of presenting yourself to those, I'm presenting myself to you, God. And I resist those things. I say no to them because of the power you've given me and the spirit you, you've indwelt in me. And that now opens the door to further acts of sanctification and righteousness and holiness. To where I can now grow in holiness because every choice I made now opens the door to more choices. Or I can go down the other road of unrighteousness. Does that make sense? So choose today which one you are going to serve. You've been endowed and empowered to serve righteousness. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you were now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, holiness, and its end is eternal life. So say this last one with me. For the wages of sin is death, but the... We have been given the free gift. And its end is eternal life. Is that not the life you want to live every day? I firmly believe... Every time that truck called temptation comes down the road that I've stood in front of so many times and been mowed over, I firmly believe I don't have to stand in front of it. I'm not saying to you perfectionism in this life. This life is a battle every day, all day. It's a battle. And if our eyes aren't on the Lord and deeply committed to the truths he's taught us, I'm going back to the trough. 
not only do I need my Savior, the truth of who he is and what he's done, his spirit in me, I need you. I need you to do this, and you need me. That requires us to be honest with each other, forthright, confessing our sins to one another. I'm not talking about confessing so you can be forgiven, confessing because there's power in humility to say, hey, I need help. Please pray for me. Please keep me accountable. And then to shift your attention away from those acts of sin to the acts of righteousness and dive into those things and put your energy in a place that glorifies the Lord. So tomorrow, 4th of July, have a great time. Truly, celebrate. There's a lot of headlines today about people who, who think we should ditch the 4th of July. And it's like, because we Im implemented it imperfectly doesn't mean it's not a phenomenal concept that I believe God gave us as a gift through the writers of it. So, so as our country, let's hold on to those principles of, of that we have unalienable rights, and that is all men are created equal, and unalienable rights, which include life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Those are ours. Let's learn to implement them better in our lives with our neighbors and our friends, even our enemies. But more importantly, if this world is passing away and the kingdom of God lasts forever, I think we can be the best citizen on this earth by being the best instrument for righteousness in the hands of God. Would you agree with me? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. So, Father, thank you for your truth today. Thank you for this country we live in. I want to call it a great country because I believe that. But I know, Lord, we have so many problems in this country that we're all responsible for to one degree or another. Sometimes we feel like there's nothing we can do, Lord. It's a lost cause. But I pray, Father, that we would not hold on to that, that the principles that I believe you put at the foundation of this country um, still apply today. And even greater, apply spiritually. All because of your son on the cross. And as we now prepare to take communion, Father, just dive deep into our hearts the truths of freedom because of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In his name we thank you. Amen.